Our lesson today will be from the book of Daniel, and I've been given some scriptures to read from uh, the book of Daniel. If you'd like to follow along, I'll be reading from Daniel 1, 8 and 9. Daniel 1, 8 and 9. But Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. I'll also be reading from Daniel 1, 17 through 21. Daniel 1. 17 through 21. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in, his, in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them. And among them all, none were found like Daniel, Hazaniah, Mishael and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Good morning, church family. It's good to see you today. If you want to keep your Bible open to Daniel chapter 1, we'll be back there in, in just a few minutes and, and looking at some things in Daniel. But it is good to be back with you. Uh, two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to be away. Uh, had a meeting out west. My wife went with me and we got a couple of extra days of vacation. And on that Sunday, so thankful for the great job that Ben did in talking about chapter 17 and the great job Howard did on Sunday night talking to uh, us about drifting. And then last week to be around EU for the very first time, uh, was it, it was wonderful. It was amazing to see a church family so engaged and excited about accomplishing something together for other people, and so just was excited to be around that. So I'm thankful for you, thankful that you allow me to stand before you and deliver lessons from God's Word, and, and that's what we want to do this morning. We want to think about chapter 18 of the story. And hopefully you had some time to read that and go through that this week. It largely comes from the book of Daniel. Now it's going to conclude in Jeremiah with some words about God with His eye on a faithful remnant of people who while in exile, He's watching them and He's looking at their faith and eventually He's going to liberate them. But most of our study today is in Daniel. And one of the things we talked a little bit about in class is sometimes we've taken some of the great narratives out of Daniel and we've kind of confined them to children's class. We learned some of these stories early, early on. And then maybe in adulthood we don't come back and spend time on them maybe as we should. And so we're going to kind of highlight some of what's there today and then talk about a few things that maybe we can walk away with that will bless us as we seek to serve God. Chapter 1, it talks to us, it leads off 
thinking about exile, the, the idea that the dream, uh, that Judah has been humiliated, the dream has been crushed, they've been carried away, they've been taken captive. Exile is not something that computes well with us. We can't fathom the idea that we would be forcefully taken from our country, uh, from our place, and, and placed somewhere else against our will. That's, that doesn't register well with us, but that's where God's people are. And as this happens, Nebuchadnezzar, he wants to take some of the best and the brightest. He wants to bring them in for what really amounts to a Babylonian brainwashing. He's going to bring some of these young men in and they're going to be taught uh, the ways of, of Babylon. They're going to be taught the language. They're going to be taught the history. Some of them will eventually go back and serve as puppet leaders in their home countries. But some of them will stay and serve the king. And that's where we find Daniel and his four friends. They are in this royal training program, and one of the things that we notice in Daniel 1 that was just read, Daniel makes a decision, and he leads the other three guys in this way, that he, he, he may be involved in this program, but when it comes to crossing a line where he has to violate the law of God, he doesn't want to do that. And so he says, allow me, give me permission to not eat the king's food. I don't want to violate the king. And, and so he works in that. And so God is active and God is blessing Daniel and his friends. And, and that's one of the big messages through this is that God is still in control. Notice Daniel chapter 1 verse 9. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander and the officials. God's active. Verse 17, As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. And so God is very much active in this. Well, then you get over to chapter 2, and King Nebuchadnezzar, he's being troubled by some dreams that he's having. And sometimes we have dreams. And sometimes we dream something and we wonder, well, what in the world? Why did I dream that? What could that have meant? And there are some people that would offer probably for a fee to, to, to interpret your dream for you. Well, Nebuchadnezzar had some smart guys, some guys that supposedly could do this, but he was a smart king. I mean, you could have a dream and I could tell you what it meant, but you really wouldn't know if I was right. So Nebuchadnezzar says to, the, to his smart people, he says, I don't want you just to interpret my dream. I want you to tell me what I dreamed and then tell me what it meant. Well, obviously none of his guys could do that. And so his next decision is, well, if you guys can't do what you say you were going to be able to do, then you all deserve to die. And so the word goes out, we want to kill all these guys. And that includes Daniel and his friends because they're some of the wise people. Well, word gets to Daniel, and it's hard to understand why Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't have gone to him first, but Daniel says, whoa, no, let's not kill anybody yet, just yet. And, and so Daniel runs to his friends. He says, guys, we need to pray about this. And so in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, he says, guys, let's pray, let's ask God to, to grant us this wisdom, this knowledge, so that we can go to the king and explain his dream. And so they do that. And by the end of chapter 2... Daniel and his friends, they've been promoted. Some years later, chapter 3, we get there, and it's, it's, it's a few years later, and we're not really sure where Daniel is in chapter 3. Maybe he's away, and it's one of the things we, that was asked in class. We just don't know where Daniel was at this point. But Nebuchadnezzar sets up a 90-foot 
golden image, likely a Babylonian god, and he sets that up, and at the dedication ceremony for this image, he allows his herald to issue a decree that when a trumpet blows, when you hear the sound of music, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, at that moment, you stop, you drop, and you bow down and pay homage to this, this idol. Well, there's Shadrach, and there's Meshach, and there's Abednego, and they're not going to do that because their allegiance is to the God of heaven. And this in chapter 3 is one of those stories that we learn early on as children. They say no. And see, in kids' class, we teach about the power of God and how God is with us. But what I see in chapter 3 is a martyrdom story. God chose to intervene, but you've got three guys here. And notice what they say in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and He'll deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if He does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. What they're saying is, we're willing to walk into that fire and die before we compromise our allegiance to God. Now, The deliverance here is very, very powerful because when they're saved and when they come out of this, uh, it says that there's nothing on them that's singed, there's nothing on them that's burned. They don't even smell like fire. I remember a number of years ago I'd been grilling supper and when I got done cooking, I thought I'm going to turn the burners up for a few minutes and try to burn some of that mess off in there. And I don't know what possessed me. I should have been smarter than this. But about ten minutes later, I went out there and I thought I would peek inside and see if it was done yet. And when I lifted the lid, it was kind of a harmless, brief, momentary poof of fire, but suddenly my eyebrows were gone. And we've all smelled burning hair. It's not a good... Smell and, and you've been around a campfire. You don't have to be around fire at long at all. You don't have to be in fire to smell like fire. And the, the account says these guys, they, they don't even smell like they've been near fire. And so they walk out of this and here's Nebuchadnezzar. He's saying good things about God. He even issues a decree at the end of chapter 3 that says, hey, let nobody speak anything negative against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just don't do that. In fact, chapter 4 then opens with Nebuchadnezzar offering up, saying good things about God. But the other thing we notice in chapter 4 is that Nebuchadnezzar has a problem. And it's one of those problems that sometimes is a problem for us. He has an ego. He's very powerful and he knows he's powerful and he's not humble toward God. And and we're reminded that while you may in one chapter say good things about God and you may issue some decrees about what people can't say about God, that isn't the same as actually honoring God. And so in chapter 4 he has another dream. And he says, I, I had a dream about a tree that gets chopped down and he calls for Daniel and Daniel says, well you're the tree. 
In fact, the, the, the message from God, Daniel says, is this. You're going to be chopped down. In fact, you're going, to, you're going to end up living among the beasts of the field. You're going to be like a wild man living out in the open. You're going to basically lose your mind. And that's going to happen until such time, as verse 26 says, until you recognize that it is heaven who rules. And otherwise, in other words, until you recognize that it's actually God who's in charge. And then in verse 27, Daniel says, and by the way, what you might want to do, why don't you think about humbling yourself right now? Why don't you think about recognizing God right now? And maybe God will change His mind. Twelve months later, a year later, it's been 12 months. Nebuchadnezzar's probably not thinking about that dream. He's probably not thinking about the interpretation that Daniel had given him. 12 months later, he's roaming around on his roof and he's looking over the kingdom and he's praising himself and talking to himself about how great he is. And the Bible says that as he's speaking, a voice from heaven comes to him and God makes good on that promise he essentially loses his mind and ends up living among the beasts of the field. And later on, God grants him his reasoning again, and he finally is able to honor God. Chapter 5 is a leap ahead of about 20 years, and it doesn't say that in the beginning of the chapter, and it would help if it did, but you jump forward about 20 years, and Belshazzar, we won't say much about him other than the fact he's another king in, in Babylon there that doesn't honor God. And because of that, uh, there's some mysterious writing that comes up on the wall and Daniel is still on the scene and Daniel comes in and explains to King Belshazzar that he's going to die and he is going to have the kingdom fall to the Medes and the Persians. And that happens at the end of the chapter and that ushers in Darius. Which sets up chapter 6, one of the other great stories out of Daniel that we've learned from the time we were very young. Chapter 6 opens up by explaining that Daniel distinguishes himself in the service of Darius. He's doing a good job. There are 120 of these leaders called satraps, and over them there are three commissioners. One of, Daniel is one of those three commissioners. It is the intention of King Darius to eventually and soon make Daniel in charge of the entire kingdom right under Darius. Well, obviously... That sets Daniel up as a person to be targeted because there are some other guys that want that job. And so it's very natural for the other people. They start looking at ways, okay, well, what can we find wrong with Daniel? What can we legitimately accuse him of? Well, there's nothing. They find nothing. They come up with nothing. So then they say, we're going to have to set this guy up. And so they go to Darius and they say, listen, what we want you to do is, uh, you're in charge now, issue a 30-day decree whereby anybody, uh, nobody's allowed to bow down to any god or to ask anything of anyone other than you. Everybody's got to honor you for 30 days. And Darius signs it. Well, Daniel prays to God. Daniel is devoted to God. And so in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel really doesn't change a thing. He continues to do what he's always done. And they rat him out. 
And Darius doesn't want to lower Daniel into that den of lions. He very reluctantly does that. He says, I hope your God can save you. This God you've been praying to, I want your God to save you. I don't want you to die. And Daniel survives that lion's den. And then Daniel, the, the, the verse 28 of chapter 6 says that Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Even in exile, this faithful, God-honoring remnant of Jews is growing. And that's where chapter 18 of the story ends. God is, He's got His eye on this. He's still in control. He's still watching over His faithful people. And eventually, He's going to liberate them. So that's kind of chapter 18 of the story. But I want us to walk out of here with a couple of things that I believe are very relevant for us today. Now, let's go back three weeks. I want to take you back to the first Sunday of this year. And we were talking about Hezekiah. And on that day, we were thinking about New Year's resolutions and things that might bless us in the new year. And we talked about three things that the Bible says about Hezekiah. And we started thinking in terms of what if we made these three things a part of our reflective thinking at the end of each day. We talked about the idea that Hezekiah, the Bible says, he did right, that he trusted in the Lord, and that he clung to the Lord. And I bring that back up for a couple of reasons. One, I bring it up because of the value we find in that, and I bring it up to ask the question, okay, we talked about it three weeks ago, so have we done any thinking about those three questions as we seek to walk with God? I also bring it up because as we read about the life of Daniel, I believe Daniel provides real life application to these three ideas. The idea of doing right, the idea of integrity, the idea of conviction. He did right, he trusted God, he clung to God. And so Daniel lives these things out. In recent months, quite a few sermons have been preached in quite a few places all trying to answer the question in light of what's going on in our country and in light of what's going on in our world today, we who are Christians, how do we respond to that? Because in our country, we're more concerned than ever about our safety. And we're fearful because Christianity, the Christian way of life, it's not as relevant in the eyes of some as it once was. We aren't as influential Christians as maybe we once were. In fact, there may be some fear that our right to lawfully follow God might at some point be compromised and come even more under attack than it is now. So we're living with those fears. And so guys have been preaching lessons. Okay, how do we respond to that as Christians? It's worth thinking about. From Daniel, I want to give us two powerful ideas, two answers to that question. Daniel and his friends, they're the positive example of how to respond. And so number one this morning, Daniel and his friends, they chose to live as strangers rather than as conformers. Uh, Notice again Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. It says, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. Another way to say that is Daniel made the decision to get his mind right even though he's in circumstances. They aren't what he would have chosen. Not what he would have preferred. 
But he's got a mindset of conviction rather than a mindset of compromise. Daniel is successfully living out the we don't belong here mindset. And it's more than we... It's not just we don't belong in Babylon. It's that we don't belong here. You remember 1 Peter chapter 2? And you remember Peter's writing to a group of Christians who they're going to face persecution. They may face martyrdom. They may face some really bad things. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. In exile. How easy would it have been to blame God rather than to honor God. Because we live in a world and we see it every day. We live around people who often blame other people for their problems when what really would bless them would be a trip to the mirror. And people are still people. They've always been people. And so there were people like that in Daniel's day. Likely some Jews who are blaming God even though God has said over and over, I didn't want to do this, but you wouldn't follow me. They could have blamed God. How easy would it have been there in Babylon, taken away against your will, to question whether God is ever going to intervene and make things better? I mean, how tempting would it be to say, okay, well, I'm in this program where I'm going to eat right, I'm going to drink right, I'm going to be well taken care of, I'm going to be safe, and we highly value safety. And it's worth noting that even as Daniel is determined to get his mind right, he still attempts to work within the system. He asks permission to honor God. Let's do a test. This guy that delivers the food, you've got a job to do. I don't want to get you in trouble. Uh, Let's test it for ten days. It's kind of the golden rule way of doing things when Jesus would say in Matthew 7 verse 12, "...and everything therefore treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets." You see that with Daniel. Bottom line, we're called to think of ourselves in terms of being strangers, people who do not belong here. And when we have conviction, that will prevent conforming and that will prevent compromise. The second big idea from Daniel is that Daniel chose to be faithful rather than fickle. Uh, Turn with me, if you would, to the sixth chapter of Daniel, and I want to share several verses. As all of this, the, the people who are trying to attack Daniel and set him up, they've put their plan in motion. Notice verse 7 of Daniel 6. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked." Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is the injunction. Now when Daniel knew the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. See, the fickle nature of God's people 
is why all of this is going on. And we've seen it through the story. It's the overarching theme. It's I follow God for a while and then I cheat. I follow God for a while and then I cheat. And God said, you know, I don't want to... I don't want to exile you. I don't want the kingdom to fall. But if you will not follow me, I've got to allow that to happen. And so the fickle nature of God's people is what's brought them to this point in the first place. The Scripture's interesting. We read it and we study it and maybe we go back and we read the same thing a year later or five years later, whatever. The beauty of the Bible is you'll discover things you haven't noticed before and that happened with me in this reading. I'd never really noticed that the decree issued by Darius was a 30-day decree. Now, obviously, we understand why. It wasn't about legitimately everybody needing to bow down to him. It was all to set Daniel up, but it's, it's 30 days. And I wonder how easy it would have been to put yourself in Daniel's shoes. How easy would it have been just to take 30 days off? You know, for 30 days... I'll just not open those windows up and pray. I mean, for 30 days. And, and Daniel could have rationalized that you, you can go through the conversation. This is what... It would have been easy. God knows my heart. God knows I've been serving Him faithfully even though we're here in Babylon, here in exile. If I take 30 days off, I can continue in my position. I've got influence here. And when I've got influence, then I can be a good influence on some other people. And so as a commissioner... If I just take 30 days off, I can still pray in private. No big deal. See, we have our concerns about what might happen as our country becomes less Christian and less safe and less moral and all these things. You know, what would we do if a worship assembly like this became illegal? We need to think about that, but I think we all understand that's not next Sunday's dilemma, is it? If God delays His return, it's not going to be illegal next Sunday for us to assemble. But isn't it possible that there is a more immediate concern and that that more immediate concern might be found in those situations where we become fickle and we take a break from putting God first, compromising in some way instead of honoring Him? For us, it's a situation where I perceive that it's easier and less troublesome and less pressure-filled to simply make a small compromise with God rather than to faithfully stand for Him or to live out His commands or to live out His way of life or or to, to live with His standard of integrity. God knows my heart. God knows I'm serving Him, but but security in my job and in my career, that's important to me too. I've got to take care of my family. And so yes, I maybe let that customer believe something about our product that's not entirely true, but I got that sale and I needed that sale because my family, I've got to take care of my family. She's not the kind of girl that I would normally date. I realize that, but, but I'm following God. God knows my relationship with Him, and she's, just, she's attractive. And, and I know, though, that I'm, not, I'm never going to compromise my relationship with God, even though she's not the kind of girl that I would normally date. I know I won't be able to worship God any this next weekend, any this next Sunday. I know I won't be able to bow down and worship to Him, but, but this thing that we're going to do is so important to my family. Because when you think about it for Daniel, had Daniel just chosen to take 30 days off, 
that would be a lot like us just being out of church for a month or so. But Daniel seemed to understand that there was no difference in 30 seconds or 30 minutes or 30 days or 30 years. It's interesting that even though he's not called by name, we read about Daniel in Hebrews chapter 11 in that great hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 32, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, there's those three friends. Escape the judge of the sword. They're in there. And see, their story, it's the same as it was for Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob. Go back to verse 13 of Hebrews 11. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For Daniel and his friends, it's not just, I'm in Babylon, but I'm not from here and I don't belong here. I belong back in Jerusalem. That's not it. Their thought process is, I'm on an earth where I'm really not home yet. I'm on an earth where I really don't belong at all. And so perhaps through this, Daniel's thinking about something that we're prone to forget. The idea that being faithful and not fickle, it's worth it because life here is so brief in comparison to forever, in comparison to eternity. In Philippians 3, Paul talks about it in terms of, hey, I'm living my life, I'm straining forward to the upward prize. It's, it's something I look at, it's something I think about, it's something I long for. If you were across the street last Sunday morning in worship, you may remember that Chuck alluded to Francis Chan's rope illustration. And some of you have seen this illustration. I'm sure a number of you haven't. But if I want you to give your attention to the screen for just two and a half minutes because this illustration is so powerful in helping us understand why we need to be faithful and not fickle. Give your attention up to the screen. Now imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on earth. You've got a few short years here on earth and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. This is, this is your existence. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save, save, save so I can really enjoy this part right here. <laughs> you're consumed with that. And you're thinking, oh man, am I going to get to travel? Am I going to eat well? Am I going to do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? What about this? What about this? What about what about all this stuff? It's just it's crazy to me because because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. 
And, and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible, enjoying myself as much as I can, Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all this stuff I could enjoy. And I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God. Because when I face Him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth. And it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this. And then comes eternity. And I'm not going to be fooled. I'm not going to spend my life down here. See, people look at some of my decisions and go, Oh, you're so stupid because that's going to really affect this. I go, No, you're stupid because it's going to affect all of this. Man, I, I, I'm serious. I, I look... I look at the way people live and I go, Wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going you're gonna to do that right now. Just to enjoy right now. Not even knowing... If you have tomorrow, and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb, it doesn't make any sense. Paul goes, I'm not going to look around at all this stuff. And it's tempting. It's tempting to all of us. That's what I'm saying. Down here, it's crazy because everyone lives that way. Everyone lives for the red part. No one's thinking about the millions of years afterwards. It's, it's just this crazy deception that we can't get out of our minds. And Paul goes, I'm not doing that. He goes, I keep my eyes on that. I keep my eyes on that finish line. And I'm going to forget what's behind me. I'm not looking around. I'm just going to... I'm straining. Because I'm straining. We live in a country where I believe that illustration gigs us all. A little bit. No matter what our lives look like here, whether we get to live under this protection of constitutional freedom that guarantees a lot of various freedoms for us. We often take that for granted. Whether we live that way or even if at some point our freedoms are removed, we are called to live like we don't belong here because our freedom is found in Christ. No matter what country we're from, no matter what country we might find ourselves in, it's the idea that we live not conformed to this world, faithful constantly, not taking time off from our commitment to God, not 30 seconds, not 30 minutes, much less not 30 days. And the reason is that our time here is oh so brief in comparison to eternity. Bradley's going to lead us in a song of invitation today, and my question is simply this, are you prepared for forever? And in that, are you living your life each day, not conformed to this world, but with your focus on forever? If you're here not a Christian and you're ready to become one today, we're ready to assist you in your obedience to the Gospel, to see you baptized into Christ. Maybe you're here today and you need your church family to pray with you and for you. If we can help you in any way, let that be known while we stand and while we sing.